0: our books of Tafsir pretty much unanimously and our authentic books of Hadith Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim they all mention an incident that uh, might be perplexing to our modern ears but it is something that um, it's not really problematic and that is that these two surahs were revealed because uh, somebody by the name of Labid Ibn al asam who was one of the rabbis of uh, the city had done some type of sihr against our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and the Prophet ﷺ complained, Alaihi Wasallam complained that oh, Aisha having these effects and he made dua to Allah so two angels came to him in a dream and the two angels had a conversation and they explained where the item of sihr was and so the Prophet Sallallahu sent uh, Ammar ibn Yasir and Bilal and uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib and others to go to that well and extract the item of sihr and to recite Falaq an nas over that item and also to recite it over himself to eliminate the sihr. And we said that in fact if you understand what is the reality of sihr and the symptoms of the Prophet ﷺ, they were so trivial that really Allah did protect him and the effects of sihr were so minuscule that this does show the perfection of his uh, prophethood. And this is something that as I said we find it in Bukhari and Muslim and every book of hadith, every book of sirah mentions this. Now yesterday I had done Surat An-Nas Today we'll do Surah uh, Al-Falaq. And one point I forgot to mention yesterday, that in fact there's a controversy, where were these two surahs revealed? Was it in early Mecca or was it in late Medina? Because the style and the mannerisms of the surah seem to be early Mecca. But the hadith that says the sihr took place is in Medina. And so you have amongst the Sahaba even, you have some who said this came down in Mecca. And they said, some others said some who came down in Medina. And there is a way to interpret both of these. And that is to say, these two surahs might have been revealed in early Mecca. But when the Prophet ﷺ made dua to Allah to eliminate the sihr, the angels indicated these two surahs are used to battle sihr. So it's not that they came down in late Medina. They might have come in early Mecca. but it is a reminding that these are the two surahs. And there is this phenomenon that is known in the sciences of the Quran that that which was revealed in Mecca, but either came down in Medina again or the angel Jibreel reminded the Prophet of something that he can use the same verse for this incident in Medina as well. So this is a way to reconcile that maybe these surahs did come down because Ibn Abbas said they came in, in, in Mecca phase. How can they come in Mecca phase? And then the hadith in Bukhari says that because of the sihr, the angels are saying recite falaqan nas, the response is maybe it was revealed in Mecca. But The Prophet is indicated by Allah, he is told these are the two surahs to use now for your situation. So, this is a way to reconcile. So, Surah uh, Al-Falaq is again simple surah. Alhamdulillah, these are surahs we all know since we are little children. We went over yesterday the Qul and A'udhu. Anytime Allah says Qul, it is meant to emphasize. The whole Quran is Qul. Everything the Prophet is saying to us, he is saying because Allah told him to say. So, then why the extra Qul? Is there extra something qul here? It is a mechanism to emphasize. It is a mechanism to draw your attention to. Whatever phrase occurs after qul, it is something that is even more emphasized. And that's the point of qul. Qul, a'udhu birabbil falaq. Say, I am turning to the Lord of the falaq, for protection. I am turning to the Lord of the Falaq to envelope me in His protection, in His izzah, in His power, so that nothing harms me. This is what a'udhu is. And yesterday we mentioned that the Muslim only says a'udhu followed by the name of Allah. As for other religions and pagans and whatnot, they would say a'udhu with other than Allah. a'udhu from the, uh, uh, they will seek refuge in Jesus, they will seek refuge in the jinn and whatnot. We Muslims, Act, saying isti'adha, doing a'udhu, is an act of worship. فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ It is not allowed to say a'udhu followed by anything other than Allah Azza wa Jalla or the names and attributes of Allah. We can say a'udhu bi kalimatillah. We can say a'udhu, uh, you know, bi malakutillah, bi jabarutillah. We can say a'udhu bil Qur'an. It is also allowed because the Qur'an is the speech of Allah. But we cannot say a'udhu followed 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 by any other created object. So, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Say, I turn to the Lord of the Falak. What is Falak? Two meanings that are there, both are valid. The primary meaning of Falak is the dawn. When the sun rises. This is the primary meaning of Falak. So, I seek refuge in the Lord of the dawn. And the secondary meaning of Falak is from the name Faliq. in Allah Falikul habbi nawa And Falaq in that secondary meaning is to break open. And the dawn breaks open because the dawn breaks the night. So there's similarity in meaning, right? So Falaq is the dawn because it is as if the dawn is cracking open from the night. And the secondary meaning of Falaq is Anything that cracks open and then life comes out like the seed. So Allah is habbi الْحَبِّ والنوا. So the faliq here means that which is cracking open and coming out. Both meanings are valid. But it seems by the context of the surah, the first meaning is the one primarily intended. Say, I seek refuge in the Lord of the dawn. Why the Lord of the dawn? I mean Allah could have said the Lord of this, Lord of that. Why the Lord of the dawn? Our scholars mention that generally speaking, <clears throat> The dawn, and this is in all cultures, is an indication of change that is positive, right? We say, even in English, we say, oh, tomorrow will be a new day, new daybreak coming. The point being that, when Allah Azza wa Jalla is mentioning he is the Lord of the dawn so the lord of positive change whatever has happened whatever is bad Allah Azza wa Jalla has the power to bring about something new something better he is that lord as well as we all know that when the sun comes up we feel a sense of optimism, of renewal, that again, there's that positive change coming place. Whatever happened in the past happened. Today is a new day. This is a new dawn coming up. So Allah is mentioning this point of optimism that I can bring about positive change. I am the Lord of that positive change. Another reason why we might have uh, this phrase, "Rabbil Falak" is that most evil occurs at night. And the dawn eliminates that evil. Right? So, thievery and robbing and stealing and crimes of a Fahisha nature as you know and all of these types of crimes they occur at night when people go and attack others and rob others and harm physically harm others and again when people want to do evil things they typically do at night even in this culture the nightlife It's called the nightlife right so when the day comes So it's a different time that evil it goes away even in this society when the day comes, people have to go to work. They go to church on Sunday morning. Whatever happens Saturday, then they have to change it like that. So the point being that the Rabbil the Falak here is an indication. Evil is over now. That's it. Now it will be something that is positive. So, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ From what? min sharri ma khalaq From the evil of what has been created. From the evil. So we are turning to Allah Seeking protection from all evil. من شر خلق, From the evil of that which has been created. Now an interesting point here. That which has been created. Who created it? It is not explicitly mentioned. Even though it's understood. It is understood there is only one creator. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when it comes to evil, our Prophet said, hadith is in Bukhari. وَالشَرُّ لَيْسَ إِلَيْكُ Evil is not ascribed to you directly. It is not etiquette, it is not adab to ascribe evil to Allah. Even though everything that happens, indeed there is one Creator. But we do not ascribe the evil to Allah. We ascribe the evil to other than indirectly. Yeah, we don't say other than Allah, but we don't use the name of Allah. And that's why when Ibrahim is making that dua, he says, وَإِذَا فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ When I fall sick, Allah will cure me even though who caused the sickness but out of adab you don't say it right when I fall sick then Allah will cure me and in the story of Khidr and Musa that uh, when, uh, when, when Khidr says that I, I repaired the wall, right? So uh, yeah, Khidr says, fa, uh, sorry, not the wall, the ship. I wanted to cause damage to the ship. And when Allah mentions the orphan, then Your Lord wanted that the orphans are protected and reach the, uh, the, the, the mature age. Both of them are from Allah. But when the ship was harmed, Khidr said, I wanted to harm the ship. I wanted to damage the ship. And when the orphans were being protected, Khidr says, Allah wanted the orphans to reach maturity. Look at the difference in Adab, right? And that's what Allah says in the Quran as well. مَا حَسَنَةٍ فَمِنَ اللَّهِ وَمَا سَيِّئَةٍ Any good happens, thank Allah. Any bad happens, this is a consequence of your own sins and actions. So we learn from this, the Quran is very clear in this, the Prophet is clear that We do not ascribe out of adab, evil to Allah, even though there is one Lord and there is one creator. But that's not how we phrase things. And we ascribe, you know, my sins caused this to happen, even though Allah Azza wa Jal is the one who controls everything. So we might ascribe it to the creation, even though, of course, as we said, there is one being who intended it all, but it is out of Eddah what we say. So, from the evil of all that has been created. So we seek refuge in Allah. This is a generic phrase. Any evil that happens, any evil from any source, Allah will protect us. And this is something again of the fundamentals of Tawheed, the fundamentals of the Quran that. As Allah says, if any evil befalls you, none can save other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if Allah intends any good, none can prevent that good coming to you uh, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. قُلْ bi بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقِ Now, from all of the evil, then Allah specifies three things. There are three that are extra evil, that are emphasized in this surah. And these three things are, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقِ وَمِنْ شَرِّ Three are the things that are especially protected from. Number one, from the evil of the ghasiq when it wakabs. Okay, these are nouns and verbs, I want you to understand. From the evil of the ghasiq What is the ghasiq Again, a number of interpretations. One interpretation based on a hadith in Tirmidhi is that the ghasiq is the moon. So from the evil of the moon, when it is full and the second interpretation, which is the more technically correct one that ghasiq is the night and of course you understand moon and night they are synonymous like what does the moon indicate at night and waqab when it becomes especially dark so from the evil of the night when it becomes very dark now why why from the evil of the night because most of the evil in this earth occurs at night Most of the robbing and raping and pillaging and stealing, most of the fahisha, most of the sharab, most of two people doing things they should not do, when does it occur? When, and also when do the shayateen let loose our prophet sallallahu said when the sun sets that is when the shayateen run out in the world so you protect your children bring them in for a while after maghrib don't let them this is a hadith by the way don't let them be playing outside for magh- after maghrib yeah, like maybe 15 minutes 20 minutes when the shayateen are rushing out you keep the kids inside the house then after that if they need be to go outside in the backyard what not, no problem Then they can do that if they want to point being when do the shayateen spread out at night and when do they stop they sleep right before Fajr as our Prophet told us that right before the adhan of Fajr the shayateen just knock out they don't want to pray Fajr and they don't want to listen to the adhan so they knock out and they sleep throughout most of the early day so when does that shayateen causing the evil and from the evil that occurs in this time frame of the depth of the night, the darknesses of the night, that is when all of this, as we know, in all cultures and societies, that is when the primary sources of evil occur. So we see, so um, natural evil and supernatural evil. Natural evil is robbing and pillaging and causing harm, you understand. And supernatural evil is as well, when do the jinn and Shayateen become active at night? So we seek refuge in Allah from the evil that occurs in the depths of the darkness and in, uh, in the night. This is, of course, the primary phrase that is dealing with sihr uh, in the two muawidatain, falak an nas. And from the evil of those females that. Blow, nafatha is between a blow and a spit. There's no English word. Nafatha is a very specific Arabic word. You have spit in English, and that's basaqa in Arabic. And you have blow in English, right? And that's uh, nafakha But there's something called nafatha, which is in the middle. And there's no such word in English. And what nafatha does is you spit and blow half-half. <laughs> 50 split, 50 blow. <laughs> this nafatha. Nothing actually comes. It's not actual spit. This is nafath. And nafath is something that if it is done properly is an act of worship. And if it is done improperly, it can be an act of shirk. When is an act of worship? When you recite the Qur'an and you do nafath over yourself. Our Prophet Sallallahu would use this nafath after reciting Falaq nas, ayatul kursi, any ruqya. You're allowed to read the Qur'an and then you do nafath into your hands. And then you do over, or you can do on a sick person, your child, your father, your spouse. You do nafath of the Quran. Uh, I think in Urdu we say dam karte, right? In Urdu we say dam. The same thing is nafath, right? That's what nafath is. That you read the Quran and then you blow over that person in a manner that's not a blow and not to spit. Is when you do nafath, you do not spit on the person, guys. Huh? You don't actually. No, you don't do that. That's not what nafath is. Nafath is. It sounds like it, but it's not actually it. It's a middle between that. Now, this is an act of worship when it is done using the Qur'an. Okay, what's the opposite? The opposite is sihr. When the evil people use incantations to invoke the jinn and worship the jinn, and they call out to the jinn in their languages and their techniques, and you know, we all know these incantations uh, exist alhamdulillah inshallah. nobody knows them but we know that there are books that they use and they do bizarre things they go to the graveyard and they do this and they do that and as I explained yesterday this is all an act of worship to the jinn the jinn want to be worshiped the jinn feel that oh, this is a man doing this you know to me so the jinn will ask the ridiculous things go to the graveyard at 2 a.m. and find the leg of a newt and the, the, the eye of a toad and this and that and the weird things right and why? Because an intelligent, sane, powerful human being will then be searching for the eye of a newt and the, and the leg of a toad. He's going to be looking for this leaf and that plant and that animal. And in this, the, the, the jinn feels what? This man is humiliating himself for me. This man is doing what I want him to do. As I said yesterday for those of you that were here, one of the biggest myths when it comes to magic is that the magician controls the jinn. This is 110% false. No, the magician does not control the jinn. Rather, if anything, the jinn controls the magician. The jinn is the one that is telling the magician to worship. So the magician, the human, has to subservience himself. This human has to lower his dignity and do something despicable and blasphemous in order to please the jinn. No human can control the jinn unless Allah wills it. And that is... Prophet Sulaiman. By what power will a human control a jinn? I said this yesterday. By whips? By chains? By what power? Only Allah can link the jinn to a human and Allah only did it for Sulaiman. Our Prophet Muhammad said I wanted it and then I realized Sulaiman's dua and I said let it be. So he let it go. He didn't do that. He could have controlled in the famous incident of Bukhari that maybe one day we'll talk about. Point being وَمِشَرِ النَّفَّاتِ al-nafathatil Uqal why feminine why nafathat because nafathat means the female blowing and it is understood by all the scholars a male who blows is just as sinful as the female who blows here we have something in arabic called kharaja makhraj al ghalib you mention something by the most common manifestation it doesn't mean that the uncommon manifestations are halal so, the verse should not be understood if a man becomes a magician is halal. Not at all. You're just describing the common way. For example, Allah says in the Quran, haram for you to marry are. The young girls that are the daughters of the women you marry that are raised in your houses. So, a man marries a lady, the lady has boys and girls. Those girls Allah is saying It is haram for you to marry them When they become old It's very explicit, right? clear Now, why does Allah say And those young girls that are in your houses What if a man marries a lady She has a daughter that's not living in the house Does that daughter become halal in 10-15 years? Yes or no? No, so why does Allah say, and those little girls that are in your houses, this is called kharaja makhrajal Khalib. Allah is just saying the default, when you marry a lady, she's got little girls, where are they? They're with the lady. So who's gonna raise it? Most likely you will be the one raising them. So Allah is saying, you are a father figure to these young girls. This is the reminder. You are the one raising them. How can you marry them when they become older? They're never going to be halal for you if you consummate the marriage. This, these young girls become haram for you permanently. But then, why the phrase in your houses? Here we go. Allah's describing the common situation. Allah's describing the common situation. Doesn't mean that if the uncommon exists, it becomes halal. Same thing over here. Usually, across societies and cultures, It is the women who get more involved in the sihr. And this is something we know from our cultural experience, right? Not that you don't find men. They are also there. But who are the more common when it comes to the sihr issues? It is the women. Generally speaking, it is more common for women to go to magicians and for women to become magicians. This is the the reality of all cultures, whether it is in Haiti, whether it is in Pakistan, whether it is in Morocco. It is the reality that generally speaking, we find the the other gender does this and why this is the case maybe another topic we can do but so allah is saying nafathat simply because it is the more common doesn't mean the lesser common becomes halal so of the women that are doing nafath fil uqad from knots on knots and this indicates that one of the primary madhabs of sihr because sihr has madhabs believe it or not literally sihr has madhabs there are different ways of doing sihr and one of the most common ways of doing sihr there are other ways for example the what we call voodoo dolls you have a doll and you put needles or pins in it this also found in early uh, religions and paganism and there's the charts that are there as well and numerology is there as well there are many madhabs of, of sihr literally there are different ways of doing it one of them which is the most powerful and the most evil is uqad and uqad is that you take something of the person whether it is hair or a comb like the labid ibn Asam got the comb of the prophet and in it was some hair and you then tie a knot around these things and you incantate you you say the ruqya that is shirkiyah because there's ruqya that's that's tawheed that's ibadah then there's ruqya that's shirkiyah and this Shirkiya, this incantation, every time she ties the knot, she will then do the nafath invoking the jinn, invoking the evil, and then tie it there. And this is wa min fil uqad. And this type of sihr is one of the most difficult to remove as well, because to remove it, generally speaking, you need to find that item and break the ties and knots. And that's what happened in the Prophet's dream. He saw where the item was. And so he sent Ammar ibn Yasir and Ali and others, he sent them to the well. They kept on pulling the water out until the well was drained. Then they saw that item covered by the sand, they went in, they took it out, and they then uh, broke it up, and they recited Falaq and nas, or according to one report, the Prophet did it, uh, and the other ones, the Sahaba did it, but the point is, either way, they recited Falaq and nas as they broke the knots one by one. This also shows us, by the way, and inshallah, yesterday I promised you, some someday, inshallah, we'll have a detailed lecture about the reality of sihr and jinn and ruqya and how to do this, but for now, one of the most effective ways no I will say the most effective way to break sihr is to find the item and to recite falak nas and break the item this is the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu That's exactly what he did you found the item and when you find it those knots are then broken and you can take a, a, a knife for example or a scissors and you recite falak nas and you do nafath and as you do nafath you break the knot And you break the knot like this after reciting falak and nas. And this automatically lifts the spell. Automatically. That's the most effective way. How do you find the item? Generally speaking, you make dua to Allah for the dream. You make dua to Allah for the dream. And I have dealt with a number of cases where I told them make dua sincerely and they saw in their dream exactly where. Oh, and my aunt's house there there under that tile in the room I saw it put over there and they go and they find it over there this is a gift that Allah gives you when you turn to him that Allah will tell you if you make dua sabtu, yani, it sometimes happens sometimes it doesn't that you see the item then you go to that place and you then destroy it just like our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam it happened to him nafathati fil uqad, and the final verse so hasidin idha hasad. So. Three things. Number one, the time of evil. Number two, the worst category of evil when the evil invokes the jinn world. When an evil person invokes the jinn world. Number three, the worst akhlaq that is found in any human being. That's what we seek refuge from. These are three worst evils. The worst time frame, the worst relationship, which is the relationship of a human with the jinn, and then the worst akhlaq of the heart. Those are the three main things that we seek evil from. And that is, And the evil of the one who has hasad when he has hasad. And hasad, again, there is no technical term in English. We say jealousy, I just posted on Facebook this. There is no English word for hasad. Because jealousy in the English language, it encompasses that which might be permissible and that which is haram. If you desire something that somebody else has, this is not hasad in the Arabic language. If you desire something that someone else has, this is not hasad. The technical term is ghibta. You want what the other person has. And ghibta could be permissible. It could be neither haram nor halal. Only if what they have is haram and you want it. Then this is haram for you. Otherwise, to desire... If for, let me give you a simple example. You see a person driving a fancy car or, you know, whatever, got a promo... Simple example. Somebody got a promotion in a job. You're like, oh, I wanted that promotion. I wish I had that promotion. This is not hasad. This is ghibta. You want what somebody else has gotten. And ghibta in and of itself is not sinful. It is only sinful if what he got was haram and you say, I want the haram. Somebody got won the lottery, right? And it's haram. Say, ah, I wanted that haram money. No, you should not be wanting haram. But if what they got is halal, and you feel, I want that as well, technically that is not sinful. Now, is it praiseworthy? No, not really, because why should you want the dunya? You should want the akhirah. It's not praiseworthy. But you're not going to go to jihannam. Allah is not going to punish you for wanting what others have. What is hasad? Hasad is to feel a burning irritation. Why did he get it? Why did she get it? This is hasad. Do you see the difference between wanting what somebody else has versus feeling negative that somebody else has it? That feeling negative is hasad. The positive element is not hasad. Do you understand this point here? It's a very important point to say. There is nothing sinful for desiring something you don't have. Technically, it is at the very least mubah if what the object is mubah. You can desire a million dollars. I wish I had Bill Gates' money. That's not hasad. I wish I had this luxury, this and what. That's not hasad. It might be foolish. It might not be praiseworthy, but it is not sinful as long as the object is halal. When is it sinful? It is sinful when your heart cringes. Why does that person get it? What difference does it make to you if Allah blessed somebody else with a blessing? Why does your heart feel miserly and stingy when Allah gave somebody else something? That is what hasad is. And it is always haram. It is never halal. It is always blameworthy. It is always something that is of sin. Why? Because when you feel hasad, you are challenging Allah's wisdom and qadr. Think about it. When you feel hasad, what you are saying is that person should not have gotten it. And who decided to give that person what he got? It is Allah. And that's why Allah says, "Am ma min Do they have hasad over what Allah has given from His fadl to His people? To whoever Allah chooses to give. Hasad therefore is a theological disease. It affects iman. And that's why it is one of the only diseases. There are some others, but so uh, to, to, to take a step back. Generally speaking, um, this is the final point by the way, finishing up here. Generally speaking, that which exists in your mind is not going to be sinful on judgment day. This is the general rule. As our Prophet said, Allah has forgiven what my ummah thinks of itself to do. If you imagine a sin, if you daydream of a sin, if you even desire in your heart to sin, but you don't do it, the general rule, Allah will overlook. It's not good, it's not positive. You should not be daydreaming of committing a sin, right? But if you do it, Allah is and Rahim. Allah will not call you to task, right? A person wants to drink and he's daydreaming of drinking, Okay, this is not healthy. Just don't do that. But Allah is not going to throw you in Jahannam for imagining khamr, imagining zina, imagining. This is, as the Prophet said, Allah has forgiven it. It's not good, but it's forgiven. But there are some exceptions that the mere existence in the mind or the heart will be sinful. Number one on the list is hasad. Number two is kibir. Kibir is also there. There's a few things, very few things. If they exist, then their mere existence in the spiritual realm is going to cause you sin. Why? Because hasad, as we said, is a theological disease. It challenges Allah's hikmah and Allah's qadr. It is a weakness of iman in Allah to have hasad. And that is why we cannot allow it to exist. Our Prophet ﷺ said, "Iyakum وَالْحَسَدُ I warn you against hasad because hasad destroys good deeds like a fire destroys twigs. Or in another hadith like vinegar destroys honey. Basically anything that destroys anything, hasad is the one that is destroying it. Notice what he said. Hasad destroys your good deeds. Simply having it in your heart destroys good deeds. Which means you have to monitor your hasad. Make sure it doesn't even exist. Ibn al-Jawzi mentions the worst of all traits is hasad. It was the cause of the first sin in the heavens when Iblis felt hasad of Adam. And it was the cause of the first sin on earth when Habil and Qabil, the hasad existed between the two of them. The first sin up there, hasad. The first sin down here, hasad. And the very final point, and inshallah we'll continue about this in a very detailed lecture. Hasad causes people two things. Number one, It causes people to act in the most foolish and despicable manner. You lose track of common sense. You do things that you should not do. And we see this in Habil and Qabil, and we see this in Iblis and Adam. That when you feel hasad, your mind doesn't even work, and you do things that are stupid, harmful, dangerous, foolish, and will bring about fitna in this earth. But number two, and this is the much deeper topic, we don't have time, Hasad also brings about a supernatural disease and that is al-'Ayn. That is al-'Ayn, And our Prophet ﷺ said, al-Ainu haqq. Ain is true. And what is Ain? In Urdu we say nazar, nazar laggay. This is Ain. And Ain is true. It is something that is a reality. It is something the Quran and the Sunnah come with. As for the Quran, the story of Yusuf. When? Ya'qub said to his sons, don't enter into one door. Enter into Abuab al-Mutafarraqah. Why? Because we don't want people to have Ayn of you. And, وَمِنْ شَرِّ حَسَدٍ إِذَا حَسَدٍ We are seeking refuge in Allah from Ayn as well. And Ayn, again it's a deeper topic, but just to very quickly talk about it because everybody asks what is Ayn. Ayn is the jealousy in the heart that goes unchecked and it grows and it festers and it becomes like some type of rotting disease in the heart for a wisdom that Allah knows this evil in the heart empowers the qareen of the person, the jinn of the person to then physically attack the other person so ayn is a type of the jinn attacking and sihr is a type of the jinn attacking both of them are jinn-related. Both of them are jinn-related. And ain, you don't even invoke the jinn to do it, but your evilness allows your qareen to do it. And that's why when a person has ain, when a person has jealousy, sorry, ain will affect the other person physically. It might affect the person physically. So for example, if a person has jealousy of another person's wealth, perhaps their wealth, their business will go down if a person has jealousy uh, a lady is jealous of another lady's beauty for example and subhanallah men are typically jealous of power and wealth and women are typically jealous of beauty and marriage this is Allah's qadr that we have human beings weakness that we have what is our weakness as men? primarily it is wealth and fame and what is the weakness of women? primarily it is beauty and good marriages and that's why you don't show off you don't boast about these things because you will open up the door for ayn for jealousy what will happen? that the lady or the man whatever will feel jealous 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 then the Qareen will get the power the Qareen will be fed the jealousy the Qareen will then rush and do something disfigure the lady's hair will fall off the lady will get spots where does it come from from the jinn the jinn is able to cause some physical change as we'll talk about when we get there and so she will not get married or the marriage will go down you know sour and 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 become a divorce and whatnot from where from the ayn. and that's why Even if you do not invoke the jinn, but you allow the ayn to exist, the jealousy to exist, you will be sinful on judgment day. And you will have to answer to Allah, you caused that to happen, and your jealousy has to go checked, you have to bring it back, and eliminate your jealousy. And inshallah one day we'll talk longer about jealousy. These two surahs, these two surahs should be recited regularly. I mentioned yesterday, number one, after every salah. Number two, Morning and evening, after Fajr, in particular, like half an hour after Fajr, or any time and Ghurub time. And number three, before going to sleep. These are the three times our Prophet would regularly recite these surahs. So we should also regularly recite these surahs to protect ourselves from all of these evil. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us to those who are righteous and may Allah protect us from all evil. <laughs>